How's everybody? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I want to share with y'all about coming alive. I feel like the Lord is doing something not just in my life, but I see it in everybody else's life that I know, which is all of y'all, um, that he's calling us to be more than who we think we are. And um, sometimes we think we're too much, and he's got to unravel a little bit of that. And sometimes we don't think we're enough. And so I want to talk to you about that tonight. Um, with the first song that we sang, God, it was good worship too, man. Oh, so good. Um, that first song that we sang, he says, um, deserts will, you know, ignore my singing voice, okay. Deserts will bloom in the light of your love. Valleys make room for the river of God. Okay. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like a desert. I feel like I need some life. You feel barren. You feel like there's nothing there. Okay. Yes. Hey, well, just one person, me and Doug. I'm going to preach to you tonight, Doug. Okay. So okay. this is, this is how, this is, this is how I feel. This is how I feel most times. There's supposed to be this abundant life in Jesus. Well, I, I don't know. I guess I got passed up on the deal because I don't feel it most of the time. And I know we don't live by feelings, but the Lord promised an ab- us an abundant life. And it's not just in theory. He wants us to actually experience it, okay? So deserts will bloom, what? In the light of your love. Valleys make room. What is he talking about? That song just hits me like square in the chest. Valleys make room. Whatever low places you think you've got, you got to make more room for God? Yeah, he's talking about digging out. And my husband was sharing this last night, yesterday, Bible study somewhere, some meeting we were having about with Alex, yes. Okay, how the Lord spoke to him that he was about to dig him out. Kind of like you take one of those, what are they called? Excavators. (laughs) One of those excavators and kind of dig out, make some more room. So you got a valley. You got that low place in your heart, in your life. And the Lord wants you to make more room. And that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with Jesus. I'm here, but I know I can go lower. I know I can dig deeper. I know I can make more room for God. And I want to be everything that he's called me to be. I'm tired of just kind of getting through. I'm tired of everything just kind of being mundane. I'm tired of feeling like I'm a disappointment to my husband, to my friends, to my ministry partners, to to y'all. I'm tired of feeling like this. I want to feel like I am doing something for God and it be real and not be some hyped up, oh, I had a good worship experience and, and now I'm good for the next 30 minutes. No, I want to walk through life, having that abundant life, knowing that the Lord is pleased with me, knowing that I'm doing exactly what he's called me to be. I want to be alive. I don't, I don't want to see what, what's in you. I'm already preaching this message, y'all. We're just jumping ahead. I don't want to see what's in you and want to be that and not be who I'm called to be. And that's really the heart of what I want to share with y'all tonight is we've got amazing people around us at all times. And we always see the glory in other people, but we stop and we we don't stop and we don't stop to realize the glory that God has set in us. You are glorious. He made you. You are glorious, Kim. The fact that you're here blesses me. We are all glorious. There is glory in each one of us and it is unique. And it cannot be compared to another. So we're going to discover our glory tonight. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Okay. So I got some notes. I got some slides. I got some stuff. I don't know how much. I don't like, I don't, I like structure. My husband told me this last night. It's really funny. He said, you like the theory of structure, but when you actually have the structure, you find a way to worm out of it. And it's so accurate of me. So I created this big structure. I don't know if we'll, we'll stay on it. We'll just see. Okay. So there's this unsettling, right? We have this unsettling in our spirits. I don't know. Maybe it's just me and Doug. 
Okay, like I said, we're not at rest. We want to know who are we? What, what, what's my purpose? Am I good enough? Why am I here? What's happening? Why is it happening? Why is this happening to Dee Dee? Why? I thought God was good. We all believe that God can do something. So why isn't he? Or is it just that we don't have eyes to see what he is doing? Right? I mean, sometimes we just look at the facts and we don't really have the eyes to see beyond that. The Lord wants us to grab hold of some things tonight. Okay? He wants us to know who we are. That's who he made us to be. Not who we think we should be. Not who we want to be. I've been on this kick. I was talking with Nick this morning. I mean this morning, this evening, about Kim Walker Smith. I found this new song that I'm completely obsessed with, and I've listened to it probably 30 times today. Um, Spirit Breakout. Do you know this song by Kim Walker Smith? Whoo, do yourself a favor and get that song. Okay, so I've been listening to it nonstop. And her pipes, I mean, she just sings. And she, I watched the video. She's just singing, and it's like so effortless. I'm like, Lord, I want to express my heart to you like she does. God, I want to sing like that. Lord, why don't you just create in me a vocal cord that will sing? And, and he's like, stupid, this is your message. Why are you admiring the glory in her? That's her thing. Let her be her. Be you. Okay, so I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I'm, I'm called to do. Okay, so who, are, who we are, he wants us to know who we are, who he made us to be, why we're here, what his plans are for us. Okay, so why you're here is his plans for us. What's happening? But that's not just Dee Dee's got cancer. It's an accurate sight. It's the accurate vision. It's the mind of Christ. We're looking through his glasses. What is really happening to us? So what if the doctors say that? What is happening is God is shaping and forming a testimony in her life. And it's impacting the kingdom for, for, forever, for eternity. It's impacting the kingdom, what's going on in her life. And it sucks. I hate it for her. I don't want her to go through this. I don't want her to go through the ups and downs and the physical pain and the spiritual confusion. I don't want that. But you know what? The Lord is doing something we have to trust, that he is a good, good father. Yeah. Amen. Okay, so what are we supposed to do about what's happening to us? That's the big thing. Okay, now that we see, now that we have the accurate sight, what am I actually supposed to do about it? So what's my action list? Okay, so I want to share with y'all this. Um, I was, I've been reading this book by John Eldridge called Waking the Dead. Do yourself a favor and get that book too. It's really good. Um, okay, so he talks about um, there's this criteria. It's kind of like... Um, um, a chart that they use to, uh, what am I trying to say? It's the, okay, so like, hmm? no, the, um, de decision, okay, so, sorry, I'm all over the place. My mind's going in a thousand directions. Let me focus, okay. So there is, like, the Coast Guard uses this. It's a reference chart that they use to um, accurately examine a patient and, and make, a, make a determination. Wait, let me see. I wrote it down. Where is it? Okay, it's an assessment. That's what I was looking for. Okay, it's an assessment for like wilderness medicine or water medicine. Okay, so if you're out, if the Coast Guard's out rescuing somebody, they got knocked off a boat, they got hit in the head, they use this chart. So, Stephanie, would you pull up that um, slide with the red? It's probably the second slide, the first one. You can just get through. Alert. It's called Alert and Oriented Times Whatever. So, you see it says AAO times four, AAO times three, and so forth. Okay, alert and oriented times four. That means you're, you're, the person knows who he is, what place he's in, 
the time and event. Okay, so that's where we are most of the time. That's your alert and or hope, hopefully right now y'all are all alert and oriented times four. Okay, so when someone hits their head, the first thing that goes is what just happened. The person knows who they are, the place that they're at, and the time that it is, but they don't know what just happened. Okay, so if you've ever been in a car accident sometimes or um, something's happened, like Gabriel falling out of a tree, something like that, a shocking event, okay? So you can go all the way down to alert and oriented times zero is the person's awake and alert. They can look at you, but is disoriented. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they are, what time it is, and what just happened. Okay, and so John Eldridge refers to this in a spiritual way. He says, we're supposed to be at alert and oriented times four, but where we actually exist is somewhere along this chart, and most of the time it's alert and oriented times zero. We don't know who we are, why we're here, what God is doing, what's just happened to us, why is this happening to us. We're alert and oriented times zero. So I want to raise our level tonight. Let's get up to times four. Let's be aware of what God's called us to be. Let's, let's, let's see through his eyes what the design is that he's placed in us. Okay, next slide, please. I'm going to try to keep up. I'm just not. I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch the screen, Stephanie. You just have to follow me. I'm sorry. Okay, it's time to wake up. we got to wake up to the glory that he's deposited in us. This is not just some far-off dream. This is not some, um, something further off in the distance on the timeline that we're living for. What's going on right now? What, he's deposited glory in you right now. This isn't um, training for something else. Yeah, it's always training for something else. But what's going on right now is important to the Lord. Next slide. The glory of God is man fully alive. Came across this quote. Okay, and it's by some saint from 200. He's kind of like, um, his name's Saint Arrhenius. Um, Catholic church, beginning a Catholic church, so excuse that. We find truth where we find it. But this guy was about as authentic as you can get it, okay? He was about second generation from the apostles. The guy he studied under studied under the apostles. So we're not into all the corruption and, and weirdness yet, okay? But he, he looked in the scriptures, and he saw that the glory of God is man fully alive. Not that that's all the glory that God has. God, God is glorious with or without man. His creation is glorious. What he's made is glorious. What he does is glorious. But when we are fully who he's created us to be, we bring God glory. Would y'all not agree with that? Yes. Okay. He gets glory when we are fully who he made us to be. So I want to be that. Um, our deepest fear. Next slide. This is another quote. We're going to get through some quotes tonight. <laughs> okay. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're the child of God. Who am I? Who, don't you feel this way sometimes when you walk into a room? Well, who am I to participate in this conversation? Who am I to prophesy? Who am I to pray for this sick? Who am I to, to be a Christian? Who am I to be a wife, a mother? Who am I? I'm a child of God, and that's what he's called me to be, so that's everything I'm going to be. The rest of the quote is on the next slide. Your plain small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born 
to make manifest the glory of God that's within us. And it's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So how are you going to serve the kingdom of God if you're not being who God's called you to be? If you're less than, if you're insecure about what God's called you to be, how is that actually serving the kingdom of God? How can you fulfill your role in the body of Christ? We complete the body of Christ as we all rise to that alert and oriented times four. So we're in need of some confidence. Next slide. We need some confidence that allows us to be what he designed us to be. It's kind of, um, sometimes we have a negative connotation about confidence. It's like an exalting of who I am. I'm about to break this word down for you. You're going to see it's not at all this. Confidence is resting in who the Lord wants you to be. Okay? So do I have permission to be me? Do I have permission? Okay, sometimes when I fuss at my kids or whatever, it's like, well, that's just the way I am. Sometimes when we have counseling sessions, (laughs) people say that, well, that's just the way I am. Okay, we're going to be who you are, but we're going to be who God designed you to be, not your interpretation of, of who you think you are. Okay, so we're going to come back to this. Do I have permission to be me? Confidence. Confidence is the feeling of being certain that something will happen or something is true. So it sounds a lot like faith, right? So let's break this word down. When Matt and I were on vacation recently, we were talking about confidence. And I like Latin root words and all that because I'm a nerd. All right, Wade, fist pump, nerds. Okay, so confidence, when you break it down, is con or calm, which means with, and fidere, like fidelity, where you get that, semper fidelis in the Marines, with trust. So confidence really means you're operating, you're in a state of trust. But who are you trusting? What are you trusting? What are you putting your confidence in? Okay, there's another word that comes from confidence, confide, right? You confide a secret. I'll tell something to Teresa because I know she's going to keep it secret. I confide my heart in her. The Lord, who does he confide in? Next slide. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. So I'm certainly not worthy of the Lord confiding in me. The Lord confiding in me. I'm his friend. Yes, he confides in me if I fear him and he'll make his covenant known to me. That's his perspective on it. He's already, he's already extended the arm. You know how in um, marriage counseling, how many of you guys have gone through LCMF marriage counseling? Okay. Who, who initiates? The man, the man initiates, right? And who laid down the example? The Lord. He initiated. He said, okay, I want you to put your trust in me. I'm going to put my trust in you first, even though I know you're going to fail me. I'm going to put my trust in you. So he puts his trust in us. Next scripture, Jeremiah 17. This is uh, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Go back one. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Deserts will bloom in the light of your love. So you may feel like that, but if you're trusting in flesh, then that's kind of where you're going to end up, right? Okay, so we're going to move out of that realm. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. 
He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has not worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So we know this. We preach this all the time in this church. Our circumstances cannot determine our perspective on God, right? He is good all the time. It does not fear when he comes. This doesn't mean when we place our confidence in God, it doesn't mean that bad circumstances aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that craziness and and, um, the mundane and the weariness of day in, day out, that's probably still going to happen. That's called life. But how can we walk in confidence despite those things? I'm still going to have to clean up the dog's mess. I'm still going to have to pick up my kid's shoes off the floor. I'm still going to have to cook dinner and and scrape off dishes and all those things that that wives have to do because that's what I've been called to do and it's mundane. And that's not abundant life. Why do I have to do that? Well, abundant life can't be a vacation on the beach all the time, okay? Abundant life is your perspective. It's despite all of that, despite when heat comes. How, how, is the, how does it not fear when he comes? Because the tree is planted by water and sends out the roots. It doesn't matter what's going on up here because there's something going on below that we might not see, okay? We can have confidence in God and those things are going to come through for us. It has not worries in a year of drought, a year of drought. Whatever your situation is right now, has it been a year? Has it even been a year that you've been stuck in this situation, this frustration? And even if it's been a year, has it been 20 years? Whatever it is, we don't have worries in a year of drought. And it doesn't stop producing fruit. Just because this is happening to me, I'm not going to just lay down and die. I'm not going to let the devil kick me and stop me. Next um, scripture. Okay, so when we talk about confidence... The opposite, what we always think about, is arrogance, right? (laughs) Arrogance is the opposite of confidence. Arrogance, an offensive display of superiority or self-importance. And that's kind of like the general definition of it. But like I said, I like like the root words because it gives me a truer picture of the, the true intent of the word. Okay, It comes from the word erogare, to claim for oneself which comes from the word rogare, which means to stretch out the hand. Can you just get a visual of that? Can you just get a visual of Eve in the garden? Okay, the Lord told me this, and he is good, but I want it. My confidence isn't in what the Lord said. My confidence is in in what I can do with my arm. This is us depending on our own strength or your own logic or your own ability. Maybe you're really strong. Maybe you're really good at computers. Maybe you're really good at something. I don't know. What are y'all good at? Maybe you're really good at cooking. I'll use that. Maybe you're really good at cooking. Okay, we're depending on that to fulfill us. We're depending on that to make us happy. Um, Depending on your own plans for your future. Is that going to satisfy you? Is that going to give you that, that position where you have no fears in the year of drought? What if, what if everything falls apart tomorrow? What if it all falls apart tomorrow? Can you have confidence even though everything's in pieces? Isaiah 2, 17 through 18. The arrogance of man will be brought low and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. 
Why is he talking about idols? Because when we are arrogant, we have made an idol of ourselves or whatever it is we're reaching out for. This is, this is what I was talking about, about being undone. Sometimes we need to be just a little undone before the Lord. Okay? Sometimes we have moved what God is doing, and we've moved a little bit further along than he, than he is, and we're reaching out for whatever it is that he's told us we're going to have. What about when Jesus was tempted in the desert? When, when the devil offered him all the kingdoms? Wasn't he going to inherit that anyway? Wasn't that his destiny? Okay, so what the devil is tempting him with is you can have it now if you reach out your hand. If you do it yourself, you can have it now. And that's the temptation we all face a lot of times is, but I want it now. But I want it my way. But I want it to look this way. But I didn't expect it to be this. I expected it to be that. Kim and I were talking about this, about how the Lord says something to us, and then we just kind of add a little layer on it. You know, um, have y'all read the story of Deborah and J.L.? Okay, where she, um, she's a prophetess, she's a judge, she's really not supposed to be in this position, but there's no, there's no man to do it. So she rises up and she's fulfilling what the Lord's calling her to do. And she gets a word from the Lord that they need to go out and they need to attack the, um, the Canaanites who have been, uh, been taken over the land and ruling over the land for 20 years. So she tells the commander of the army, go get 10,000 men and go march up to the mountain and wait and the Lord will deliver you. And he says... Um, can you go with me? <laughs> it's like, it's laughable, right? This guy is saying, can you go with me? And she says to him, all right, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. But because the way that you're handling this, the Lord's going to actually deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Okay, so that's what the Lord says. He's going to deliver Sisera into the hands of the woman. Well, what woman did you, do you think Deborah might have thought that was? Right? Like, oh, well, yeah, I'm going. So he's going to deliver it to me. See, you missed out. I'm going to get all the glory. And he didn't. He didn't at all. Okay? He, she routes them. They slay the entire army. Sisera is the only one left alive. And he runs up north. And he ends up in the tent of J.L. And she drives a tent stake through his, through his head and kills him. So who got the glory? Not Deborah. But what if she was fretting? What if she was worried? Well, but that's not how, well, that's not what you said, Lord. No, that's exactly what he said. And, and you added something, and I, I don't know if she did, but that's what I would have done. I'd have thought, oh, well, it's me. And I'm just sorry. You know, I would have added that right on top, and I would have been very disappointed. I had to go talk to my husband. I'm like, I don't understand what the Lord's doing. It's not fair. You know? Okay, so. <laughs> Never haven't seen anybody else, right? Okay, so another opposite, another word that's similar to arrogance is conceit. And I like this one, excessively favorable opinion of one own, one's own ability or importance. And it comes from two words. It, it's, it's hard to tell, but it actually, but you can trace it back. Okay, it comes from conceiving, like to conceive a baby, something formed in the mind, conceive a thought, but which really comes from the word capare, which means to seize. So it's the same imagery. I'm going to take it for myself. Okay, so we can have confidence in God. And we can trust on his timing and his, his plan, his way, his method, or we can take it for ourselves. And how would you like that label slapped on you when you're, when you're well, I'm just going to help the Lord out a little bit. I'm, I'm just going to go talk to them. And I don't feel like the Lord's really with me, but it really needs to be done. I'm just going to go do that. You're being conceited. And what did it say? that The, the arrogance of man will be laid low. 
Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. This is talking about the qualifications for leadership in the church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So the devil was conceited? Yeah, when you look at the meaning to seize, what did he do? He wanted to seize the position. He wanted to, he wanted to exalt himself above God. He seized that. So when you start placing yourself in those categories, it, it's, it's kind of like hot coals. Let's step away from that. Okay, so we talked about two opposites to confidence, but there's another one, and I don't know if y'all have ever heard of this word before. This is a um, Jeopardy word, right? Diffidence. Y'all ever heard this? Yes, some of y'all, diffidence. Okay, diffidence means lacking confidence in one's ability, worth, or fitness. Not like fitness at the gym, okay? This is like, am I fit enough to carry out this task? When you lack confidence in your own ability. I don't think I can do this. I don't, I, don't think I, can, I don't think I can handle it. And what it really breaks down to is it means moving away from trust. Diff means away from, fidere, trust. Moving away from trust. So now we have two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Confidence is kind of in the middle. And we can move all the way to, I think I've got it this way, all the way to this side where we're arrogant we're conceited, we're seizing things, we're reaching out our hand, or we can say, I'm just not good enough. I don't think, I don't think what's been deposited in me is enough for this task, so I'm just not going to do anything. Next slide. Moses was in this position. The Lord said, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? to be beautiful, brilliant, amazing. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Because it never was about Moses. It never was about what you saw as your own ability. God deposited just enough for Moses to carry out that task. He will be with him. It was always about what God was going to do through him. Let's go to the next slide. So there's the pendulum, right? We have diffidence on one side, arrogance on the other, and confidence right there in the middle. And it's not like you're one or the other. Have you ever, like, seen, uh, try to throw a cat into a bathtub where they're like, you know, like this, right? So sometimes I find one foot in diffidence where I'm just not good enough to really be this, and one foot in arrogance where I got this, God, I don't really need you. I'm kind of straddling both of them. I don't know about y'all. I mean, does anybody feel like one way or the other? We're kind of like both, right? Because it's, it's an error in our heart. It's the flaw in our heart. It's the inherited sin of Eve and Adam that's just been passed down and manifests in our own life. When we're in the middle, that's where our eyes are fixed on Jesus. That's where he is the source. Romans 8, 6 it's not on the slide, so y'all just turn there with me. This is like one of my favorite scriptures. This is where I go in my head most times. Because if y'all know me, y'all know I'm a fretter. I'm a worrier. I'm anxious. I got a lot of stuff always rolling around in my head. And when I feel myself ramping up, if my husband's not there to put the smack down on me, this is the scripture that comes up in my head. Romans 8, 6 says, the mind of sinful man or the mind set on the flesh 
or the mind who's trusting in their own arm to reach out. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. There's that abundant life. There's that peace. There's that resting in Jesus. How do we find that? How do we walk in that when everything else is crazy? When your kids aren't behaving and your finances aren't working out and the car's broken down, you're fighting with your spouse and nothing seems to be going right. You're being accused of things that you don't think that you did. Whatever it is, whatever the chaos is out there, you can have life and peace when you're controlled by the Spirit. That's that middle ground. That's where you're at the middle of that pendulum, that confidence in God. I'm not going to trust in my own abilities and I'm not going to shrink back thinking I'm not good enough. I'm telling you right now, you're good enough, and sometimes you think you're too good. Okay? We're both. We're straddling that, that tub. Y'all got that visual of the kitty cat? Okay? Straddling. This. We're straddling. We're both. I'm, I, I got this, God. It's, it's under control. You kind of pointed me in the direction, and I got this. This is exactly what Saul did. Right? You remember that message that Eric preached, the, the BS message? Y'all remember that? One of my, one of my favorites. <laughs> the bleeding of the sheep. Saul said, well, I got scared, and I thought you weren't coming, so I just kind of went ahead and offered the sacrifice. I kind of just did it anyway. And Samuel says, what's the bleeding of sheep? What's that that I hear? Okay, Saul thought that he had to move ahead of God. He thought that what he had wasn't enough. Um, The confidence that he had in God wasn't enough. He wasn't centered. He wasn't grounded. He wasn't, he, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And so God took, because of that one circumstance, he took the throne away from him and gave it to David. We're going to get to David in a minute because this is where I'm heading. Um, this is good. Okay. Go to the next one. Diffidence is a lack of trust. Arrogance is trusting in the wrong thing. Confidence is trust properly placed. So I want you to know that the core of who you are is good. What did God say when he made man? It was very good. It was very good. The intent, the initial design of what he placed in you is good. Do you ever feel like, I wish I wasn't like this? Or I wish I was more like this? Or I wish I wasn't so much like that? This this feeling of unhappiness, unsettled in what what God's design is in you. Okay, he called it very good. Next slide. He's a master architect. In Isaiah 44, 24, he says, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb. This is the perspective, the guy who made you. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by himself. Do you think he made a mistake? How many of uh, y'all in here are shy? (laughs) You have to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're shy. Raise it real high if you're shy. Julie, you're not shy. Are you shy? Okay. So do you think it's a mistake that God made you shy? Do you think that you're a disappointment to God because you're shy? What about you? Who in here are really, like, really confident, like super confident? Okay, maybe, like, kind of confident. More confident than you are shy. How about that? Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay, do you think it's a mistake that God made you that way? <laughs> I'm super confident. It's not a mistake. The initial design, the core of who you are is good. He called it very good. He's a master architect. In Ephesians 
We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. Why did he make you shy? To do good works. Why did he make you confident, aggressive, whatever? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have a task list. He's already got it planned. Whatever your circumstance is, he already knows what he wants you to do about it. And he'll reveal it to you if you seek him. If you place your trust in him, if your confidence is in the Lord, he will reveal his covenant to you. He will reveal to you what you're supposed to do. He's already prepared it. Nothing has caught him by surprise. I love this. When um, Right before Pastor Eric left on Monday night, if y'all got to go to, to the foundations, he um, taught on your purpose and how nobody's sin can get in the way of God's purpose for you. It will not stop the plan that God has for you. His purpose for you will prevail no matter how much anyone sins against you, no matter how much anyone slanders you, no matter how much anyone fails to recognize whatever is good in you. It's not dependent upon them. He has prepared in advance for us good works, and he will accomplish those good works. Okay, so who we are is good, right? It's the expression of who we are where we get in trouble because we can either be sinful or we can be useful to God. That's where um, it's okay. I, I don't want to hear anybody after this going, well, it's just the way I am. And you said I could be who I am. I have permission to be me. Be who God made you to be, okay? Don't be a sinful expression of who God made you to be. Be a useful expression of who God made you to be. Let's look at the next chart. I love this. Okay, so I have been known to be aggressive. Big surprise there. Right, Christy? <laughs> Okay, so Jen, Jen told me, don't be so aggressive, just be assertive. And I'm like, oh, there's another side to the coin. Hello, okay. So the design that's in me, I'm not ever going to be shy. I'm not ever going to be meek and mild. I run my mouth. That's the way it is. I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> but if I channel it right, if my eyes and my focus and my confidence is in the Lord, then I'm not going to be aggressive and run people over. I'll be assertive and accomplish his will, Okay. I have known to be dramatic, or I could be expressive, right? My husband is known to be, no, I've known to be stubborn. <laughs> I've been known to be stubborn, but if it's channeled right, if it's under the control of the spirit, if my mind is led by the spirit, I have life and peace, I'm actually just determined to do what God's told me to do, right? I'm not going to be stuck in my ways. Fearful. Am I, am, I, am I just preaching to myself here? Do y'all identify with any of these? Yes. Okay, so fearful. Fear is a big thing in my life. The Lord is ridding me of it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Fearful. I can be fearful of what's to come. Or being directed by the Lord. I can be careful and thoughtful so that I'm aware of what he's showing me about the situation. I am not clingy. This is when I am not. I am not clingy. Some of my children are very clingy. Or you could be affectionate, right? You could be clingy to the point where you're smothering somebody, where you're making them feel like they're your Lord. Or you could be affectionate. The Lord wants us to be affectionate. You could be slow to act. Or under the guidance of the Lord, you could be deliberate. You could be thought of as a rebellious person. Or you could be a trailblazer, right? Not doing everything the way everyone else has done it. We need trailblazer. Okay. Arrogant or confident? Amen. So there's two, two sides to this coin. There's a way 
um, that the Lord designed you and the way that he designed you is good. Your expression of it is where we need to be washed by the word, where we need to be led by the spirit, where we need to be shown exactly how he wants me to express this side of me. I can't look at someone else and go, I wish I was more like them because this always gets me in trouble. Why is it getting me in trouble? Because I'm probably expressing it in a sinful way. Okay, I'm probably being led by the flesh in it. But if I'm led by the Spirit, I'm actually going to accomplish things. The fruit of the Spirit is life and peace, right? I mean, led by the Spirit, life and peace. Y'all know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, peace. Okay. Um, okay, so back to that question. Do I have permission to be me? Can I be me? Can you be you? Is it okay for Curtis to be Curtis? If Curtis is not Curtis, don't we miss out? I love that man. He's awesome. I want him to be fully who he is, though. I don't want to miss out on one ounce of who Curtis is supposed to be. I don't want to miss out on one ounce on who Jen Hall is supposed to be. I don't want to miss out on an ounce of it. I'm going to squeeze you until it all comes out. I want every bit of you. I want all of y'all. Lindsay, I want all of you to come out. I don't want us to be hiding, and I don't want us to be overcompensating either. We need to be fully who God created us to be. So, yes, you have permission to be you. The correct expression of you, though, how God designed you to be. Okay, so y'all know the difference between conviction and condemnation, right? Do y'all know? Do you guys know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Okay, the Lord is the one who convicts, and the devil's the one who condemns, okay? Conviction is saying, hey, this is an area that you need to work on. This is where you could improve. And condemnation is saying, you are this, and you'll never be anything else. You're condemned to this. It's a sentence. Conviction is the Lord addressing one of those expressions. Okay, so when you feel the Lord convicting you, he's addressing the way that you handled that situation, Ella. Maybe you were a bit too aggressive. I can't imagine you being aggressive, but maybe you were a bit too aggressive. Next time, do what my word says, okay? Speak the truth in love next time, okay? But what the devil does, the enemy attacks the core. He says, who you are? stinks. You're always this. You're always pushing too much. You're always running over people. You're always too shy. You always don't speak up and you'll never be anything good. You'll never, you'll never get, this will never get better. You'll never overcome this. The difference between one brings life and one brings death. Next slide. The glory of man, glory of God is man fully alive. I want to bring glory to God with my life. That's all I can do. That's my contribution to this ball of dirt is if I am fully alive. Jesus brought glory to God by completing the work. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. That's all we, that's all we have. That's all we have to offer God is to finish the work. And how could you possibly finish the work if you're not fully who you are? If you are intimidated, if you are insecure, if you feel like what God's given you is not enough, not good enough, or if you're overcompensating and you're doing what you want to do all the time, you need to unravel and step up at the same time. So how do we bridge the gap? How do I do this? How do I be fully alive? How do I walk in confidence when I don't know what I'm doing? I really don't know what I'm doing. As a mama, I have four kids. I still do not know what I'm doing. Okay. Teresa knows what she's doing. <laughs> she says no. <laughs> okay. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know about y'all. As a wife, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. I'm just kind of winging it. 
okay? <laughs> when I'm praying for people at the altar, big time, big time insecurities there. I'm winging it, y'all. I'm totally relying on the Holy Spirit. But isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? He wants us to say, yeah, you're right. You don't know what you're doing. I've thrown you into the deep end. Swim. But Lord, I don't know how to swim. That's okay. I'm going to help you. Isaiah 41. Where is that scripture? Do we have that next? Oh, yes. The structure actually works. Yes. Okay. Isaiah 41. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. This is so good. Okay, the other night, we're in worship at our house. We had worship night for foundations, Monday night. And it was thick. It was great. It was just like tonight. It was really good. The Lord was moving. And I'm standing there. My hands are crossed like this, okay? And I feel, Nolan, come see. Come stand up here. Okay, so just like cross your arms like this. I feel like someone was right here and was going like this. And I was, Cody was standing behind me, but I could hear him. He was a little, he was further back. And I'm like, who is, and it was like they were trying to go, give me your hand. And the Lord dropped it in me. You can sit down. The Lord dropped it in me right then. The scripture, I'm the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says, do not fear. I will help you. Why does he say that about our right hand though? Why does he not just say, I'm going to take hold of your hand. I'll take you. I'll take you by your left hand. Then you can still be busy doing all the things that you want to do. No, I'll take you by your right hand so you can be at rest, so you can stop with the busyness and the fretting and the seizing, the arrogance and the conceit, and you can trust in me. Do not fear. I will help you. So what if you're in the deep end of the pool? So what if you don't know what you're doing? That's when the Lord can help you. That's when we really can rest in him. Turn up, y'all, this is another one. Isaiah 30, <laughs> verse 15. This is a good one. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Repentance and rest. Repentance is that, okay, Lord, I give up. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to stop trying to do it myself, and I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to let you take me by my right hand and lead me and show me what I need to do. Quietness and trust. How can I endure whatever it is going on? I'm going to quiet all the chaos in here. I'm just going to quiet it down, and I'm going to trust. My confidence is going to be fully in the Lord. That's where I gain my strength, right? The joy of the Lord is strength. So how does that correlate? When we can quiet down that chaos, doesn't that, that joy just bubble up? Because you just feel totally secure in the Lord. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. The Lord's got you. He's got you. He's your floaties. He's got you. You're in the deep end. It's okay. <laughs> Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me. This is that centering. That's that pendulum coming into the middle. Okay? I've set the Lord before me. That's where my eyes are fixed. That's where my confidence is. I've set the Lord always before me in every situation, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Confidence. I'm not going to be shaken. 
He's going to be with me. He's going to show me. He's going to help me. It's okay. It's okay to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get through this. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I'm not in the position of a husband. I can imagine the weight of the responsibility because I feel that towards my children. But the immense responsibility of being a husband, I can only imagine that sometimes, guys, you, you feel insecure. What am I even doing? The Lord is there to help you. He's not just helping us wives. He's helping you guys too, right? Okay, all right. I got to read y'all this story. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 17. So the other day I was flipping through my Bible and it flopped open to the story about David and Goliath. And I was like, no, that's not what I'm reading. I kind of kept going back, and I felt the Lord drawing me back to that. Don't you love when he does that? Like when it's a real obvious, read this. I love that. Thank you, Lord, because I'm dumb. Okay, so I read this story. I'm like, I don't know why you're showing me this. And then I get to this one part. I'm like, of course. Okay, so it's getting late. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Y'all go home and read this, the whole chapter. Let's start in verse 4. It's your homework. <laughs> Let's start in verse 4. This is the description of Goliath. And I'm going to paint this picture for you because I want you to have this visual image. So just begin to visualize this. When it, we're, going to, we're going to do a little exercise in a second. Okay. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. I have no idea what that is, but I imagine it's those shields in front of your shins. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds. Just the point on the spear. This dude's massive. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So can you picture this? Nine foot tall, fully clad, bronze armor, the noise it's going to make when he walks, and he's got a shield bearer in front of him. Okay, let's skip to verse 26. So David comes out, he sees what's going on, and he asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? His position immediately is, what are y'all going to do? Wait, I mean, what will happen when one of you guys go out there and, and slaughters this guy, right? I mean, this guy is so obvious. This guy is defying the armies of the living God. What's going to be done? They repeated to him what they had been saying, which was you, your family wouldn't pay taxes and you'll get um, the king's daughter as your wife. Um and told him, this is, what we be, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? So he's already accusing him. Why are you skirting your duties? Why are you even here? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. So when Eliab looks at David, he sees conceit. But when the Lord looks at David, he sees confidence. When Eliab looks at David, he sees a wicked motivation. But from the Lord's perspective, David's asking questions. He's inquiring. He's, he's seriously inquiring. He has a pure motive here. You came down only to watch the battle. 
Eliab thought that David wanted to be a spectator. That's why he's down there. But David wanted to be a participant. This is a man fully alive right here, okay? He's younger than everybody in the army. He's not clad for war. He's not prepared. He's not trained with the men. All he's done for Saul so far is play the harp. And he comes out here, and he's fully who he is. And he's like, none of y'all want to go? I'll go. Okay, so let's skip to 38. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. This is trying to put on somebody else's glory. This is looking at someone else. This is looking at Spencer and says, I wish I could be like that. Let, let, me, try to, let me try to be him and walk around in that armor. He's not, I'm not going to accomplish anything trying to be somebody else. And David is quick to realize that. And he's so fully alive. He's so confident that the Lord is with him and in him and is going to do something mighty in him that he goes without any armor whatsoever. He goes out there with his shepherd's bag and a staff. For a nine-foot giant, who's already, he's got a helper with him, okay? So I, I want you all to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And I'm going to read. I'm going to read this description, okay? I want you to visualize this. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. They're in a valley, okay? Goliath is on one side. David's on the other. It's quiet. All the armies are watching what's about to happen. This young boy's about to go out there. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, and I, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, he's lumbering. You can hear his armor. You can hear the bronze scales shifting against each other. You can feel the heat in the valley, and he's moving, and his shield bearers moving in front of him, and he's just lumbering. And he's confident, right? But his confidence is in his armor and in his strength. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Can you just see him? He yells this at him. The Lord's going to give all of you into our hands and everyone will know that the Lord is the God of the world. The Lord has the victory here. And David begins to run in his feet. Boom, boom, boom. Faster, faster, faster. And he reaches into his bag and he pulls out that sling and he starts swinging it and he throws it right into the, the forehead of the enemy. And he's just running at full force at this guy. Boom, the stone hits 
right in between his armor, right in between his helmet, sinks into his forehead, and the giant stops in his tracks, and he falls forward. It wasn't from the strength of the, the blow that threw him backwards. It sunk in. The Lord helped David. He was at his right hand. It sunk in, and he fell face down on the ground. And David's not done. He walks out and he stands over the giant. He takes his, his sword and he cuts off the head of this huge guy. He slices it off and he holds it up and he turns towards the Philistine army and they take off in fear. They drop their weapons. They take off in fear. David was fully alive. There was no confidence in his flesh. He had none to give. He had no strength. He had no armor. He had nothing to offer, but the Lord was with him and he was sure that the Lord was going to deliver him. That's alert and oriented times four. That's knowing exactly who you are and why you are here and what is the time and what is it calling for? What is the Lord calling me to do right now? Next slide. This is another quote from the, from the book, um, Waking the Dead. This is John Eldridge quoting a friend who said to him, I desperately want to be who I am. I don't want the glory that I marvel at in others anymore. I want to be that glory which God set in me. I don't want to be somebody else's glory. I'm tired of fretting and being discouraged and not satisfied because I'm not this. I don't have that, and they do. I'm tired of it. I want what God has destined for me. He's the master architect. His plans for me are the only plans that are going to work for me. They're the only ones. If I try to take plans from another builder and apply it to my life, it's not going to work. I'm never going to be satisfied. Our confidence knows from, comes from resting and knowing that God's plans for us are good enough. Who he made you is good enough. This throws away any envy, any competition, any shrinking back, any overcompensating. Let's get grounded. Let's get right there in the middle of God's stream. Let's let him dig out some more in our valley, right? So his river can flow right through us and enable us to do everything that he's called us to be. His design for us is good. It's very good. Amen.